comes next. You know, I want to talk to you um, a little bit. And so thank you, Jamie, Pastor Jamie, so much for that welcome. And I was standing there thinking, this is amazing. The English and the Irish, we can like each other. That's quite something, isn't it? That's quite amazing. God is on the move. But we, we love your church. We love your innovation. We love your creativity. And if this is the first time you've ever walked into this church in any of the three locations, we want you to know these guys were ready for you. They were prepared for you and they have something for you. And his name is Jesus. And I want to talk to you this morning about a subject which I think is really, really important. And in the last few years, we've needed this subject more than anything else. And it's a subject called hope. How many of you need hope? I mean, hope is so, so important. I need hope to work out my iPad to stand it up with one hand. There we go. We've needed hope so much over these last few years. But, you know, hope is not a passive thing. Hope is not like Man City fans last night hoping that they were going to score and that when they did score, hoping that Inter weren't going to equalize. That's not hope. Hope is something much more real and much more tangible than that. And I want to talk to you today about how we activate hope. Because you and I can be in moments in our life, and if you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is not a faith thing. This is a human thing. We all get stuck in certain situations, right? Where we just stuck and we're so stuck, we cannot see a way out. So several years ago, I was um, traveling. I travel a lot and I, I go to Eastern Europe a lot. I'll be in Albania in two weeks time. We have a church in Albania. But I was coming back from Bulgaria. I've been traveling to Bulgaria since 1990. I am that old, believe it or not. And I was flying back. And for some reason, I was on my own. I'm not usually when I travel, but I was flying back on my own. And it had been amazing. Like God had done incredible things in these meetings and it was so exciting. And I was feeling good about life and faith and about what I thought I'd done as well. And, and I'm, I'm in uh, Paris airport, in Charles de Gaulle airport, and I need to go to the toilet. And so I think, well, I've got a bit of time before the connecting flight to Birmingham. So I go into the toilet and I go into the cubicle and I shut the door, lock the door, and the handle falls off the other side of the door. So I'm stuck in the toilet. But it's fine. So I do what I needed to be done. And we won't go into that there, okay? Because preachers need to do that as well as everybody else. And I did that and I thought, it's fine. Because it's Paris, it's Charles de Gaulle Airport. It's a really busy airport. Somebody's bound to come in soon. So I'll just wait. I had plenty of time. Then I'm looking at my clock and my watch thinking, actually, I do need to get out now. Nobody came into the toilet. It was like everybody had disappeared. If you're a Christian person, you'll know something called the rapture. It, like, it had happened. You know, like everybody was gone. And I'm like, okay, I've got to get out of the toilet now. And so I, I looked at the door and it's only one of those kind of flimsy doors. And I've seen diehard movies. So I think it's easy. I'll just break the door open. Have you ever tried to break a toilet door open? I couldn't do it. Then I noticed there was a gap at the top of the door. And so I, I start climbing out of the gap. And this is absolutely true, every word of it. And I get my head over the gap. I get my shoulders over the gap. I get my chest over the gap, but this was a few years ago. I was two or three stone heavier. I got stuck around here. So I'm hanging at the top of the toilet. I'd just been preaching and loads of people had become Christians and it was all great and spiritual. Here I am stuck in the toilet and I'm hanging over the top of the door and nobody is coming into the toilet. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to miss my flight. And so then I, I got my phone out of my pocket and I didn't know who to call. I, I, and I didn't, I didn't have the number of the, of the airport, so I called my home. 
my kids were young at the time. My mother was babysitting and she answered the phone. And I said, mom, I'm stuck in the toilet in Paris airport. She said, Leon, you're always joking. And she put the phone down. So it's like, here I am hanging out at the top of the toilet. Mom's put the phone down on me. And at that moment, a fella walked in through the door. And I looked at that guy and I thought, thank you, Jesus. And I, and I thought, well, he must be French. So I tried my best French, but he was a brummie. <laughs> he was from Birmingham. He said, you're all right, mate. You're stuck in the toilet. And he let me out. And, you know, in that moment when I was stuck, I was starting to give up hope. But how many of you know when God is involved, when God is involved, there is always, always hope. I want to dare you to hope today. I want to dare you to hope today. I, I, I don't know about you, but, but you see, I don't know where you're from and, or your situation. And maybe here in Dublin or, or in Navan or, or in Dundalk. And maybe you've just walked in today. And this is your first time in church. And you, you wouldn't say you're a Jesus person. You wouldn't say you have faith, but you know you need hope. You know, many of us have been following Jesus for many years. And we know that we need hope as well. But, you know, I want to dare you to hope. Because hope is not a passive thing. We have to activate hope. You see, the Bible says that biblical hope, it says, is a confident expectation in the goodness of God. It's a confident expectation in the goodness of God. We believe circumstances can change, but even when they don't change, there is still hope, right? Even when they don't change, there is still hope because hope is a confident expectation in the goodness of God. You know, the, the Bible is, 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 is not one book. It's many, many books if you're new to this. And the first half is called the Old Testament. And nearly 600 years before Jesus, Israel was living in a really difficult time. A prophet called Jeremiah, um, he was commenting on just the situation in, in his nation. And, and he says it like this in a book called Lamentations. It's a really depressing book, to be honest with you. But it's got some great truth in it. And he says this. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Many of us have felt that the last few years, haven't we, with COVID and all of that. It's been a tough time, you know, and Brexit and, uh, and political divide and the economy and all of that. And we, uh, Jeremiah is being real and honest. And yet he says these amazing words. Yet I still dare to hope. Come on. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And it's like Jeremiah saying, I've got this hope deep inside of me because of who God is, but I need to activate the hope. I need to activate the hope. And I want to dare you today to hope. But when I say dare, folks of Dublin and Navan and Dundalk, I don't mean the word dare in the way that we think of it. But anyone ever dared you to do anything? Anyone, anyone dared to do anything? I remember at school, um, last day of term at high school, some of my mates dared me and, and another guy to lock all the teachers in the staff room. So we got chains and locks and padlocks and we locked them all in the staff room. That did not go well for me. Can I tell you that did not go well? But that's not what dare means. You see, in the Bible, the word dare, it literally, it kind of it means to manifest courage. It isn't to challenge you. It's to call something out of you. To dare is to call out, is to draw out something noble and something good and something purposeful. And so I don't know how you wandered in here today or, or what your life is all about. 
on wherever you're at, whichever site, location you're at. I don't know what's going on with you, but God does. And maybe he's daring you, not in a challenging way, but in an inviting way. He's calling out courage and he's saying to you, it's time to activate the hope that is available for you. And to do that, I want to look at a story in the New Testament. This is a Jesus story. And I'm going to read it all to you. And I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories. I'm going to draw out a few things. And I think these four things I want to draw out, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, these are all going to help you to activate faith. So let's look at the story together. It's in Mark chapter 2. And just try and track the drama of this story with me if you can. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. Wouldn't that be amazing in all of your locations that there will be a day when there'll be no room and people will be packed in. Wouldn't that be amazing? Let's stick to the text. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, seeing their faith, not his faith, their faith. Seeing their faith, the faith of the friends, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man, that's another term for Jesus. He's referring to himself, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up. That's a miracle a healing miracle, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. This is an amazing, amazing story. And there's so much hope running through this story. First, I want you to think about the paralyzed man. We're going to think about every character in the story for a moment. The paralyzed man had no hope. Very easy for him. I mean, he was, he was restricted. He spent his life living on a mat, a three by six foot mat. His only view was the view up from that mat or across. His life was restricted. He also lived with stigma. In this day, if you had this kind of health condition, you were ostracized. You, you were stigmatized. You're on the edge of society. Very easy for this man to actually, actually believe the narrative that his life is never going to change. I don't know what restriction you feel you have right now or what stigma there may be over your life. I don't know what narrative is going on in your life right now. But I do know this. The narrative you listen to will determine the life that you live. And I heard this quote from a business quote, not from a, the Bible, but all truth is God's truth for me. And I love it from Seth Godin. He said this, people don't believe what you tell them. They rarely believe what you show them. They sometimes believe what their friends tell them. They always believe what they tell themselves. And I don't know how you've come into this venue today, into Navan, into Dundalk. What are you telling yourself? Maybe you're telling yourself as a lone parent that your life will never change with the restriction and the stigma of that. Maybe something that you've done in the past or that's been done to you and you feel that your life will never change. 
and you feel there's no hope because of, of what's happened to you or what you've done and you're living with that restriction and that stigma and you keep telling yourself that story, that life will never change. But I'm here to say that in Jesus' name, it can and it will. If you will activate hope, if you will dare to hope, things can change. So how do we activate this? Let me give you four ideas. Number one, we've got to dare to dream. We've got to dare to dream. You, You see, this guy had to let himself dream that something could be different than what it was currently, that that restriction and that stigma could change. Uh, Jamie was so, um, Pastor Jamie was so uh, gracious uh, and encouraging about our church. Um, A few years ago, it was approaching our 35th anniversary, and we wanted to celebrate this as a community. And one of our guys found a tweet on Twitter. Now, our town is called Hales Owen. None of you have heard of it, because it's a little town outside Birmingham. When people say, where are you from? I say Birmingham, because I've never heard of the town. Okay. In fact, we have a local football team. It's like not a professional team. And, uh, and they sing a song, we're Hal's Owen. We have an Asda and a Weatherspoons. Like that's it. All right. So there's nothing much there. But I love our town. And I love the people. And, and one of our guys found a tweet and it said this, Hale's Owen, the place where dreams go to die. And when we read that tweet, we said, no way. Not on our watch. We're not having that. You can criticize our town. Well, I can criticize our town. But if you criticize our town, then that's a whole different matter. I wonder how you'd feel, guys, if you found a tweet. Dublin, the place where dreams go to die. Navan, the place where dreams go to die. Dundalk, the place where dreams go to die. And we said, no way. That's not what we believe. So what we did, and we, we gathered together, not only our church, but all of the community. There were literally thousands of people for a big celebration and a party. And we gathered them all together on this big car park bring our building. And we said about this tweet, and we said, hey, whether you have faith or not, you're part of this town. We don't believe that this is the place where dreams going to die. We're going to dream something bigger and better for our town. And we invited everyone, faith or not, to write on a piece of card their dream for our town. And then we let them go in eco-friendly balloons. And this is what happened. And there were literally hundreds and hundreds. And we track our story back. That was nine years ago. Nine years ago, in the last nine years, we've seen God do some incredible things. A new building, a new name, six new locations. And we've seen that happen. And we track it back to the moment when we said we are going to dare to dream for a different future for our community. And I want to say to you guys here in Dublin and in Dundalk and in Navan, when we dare to dream, we activate hope. And life will be the same as it is unless we make it, unless we say, God, by your power and by your presence, we want to dare to dream for a better future, right? We want to dare to dream for a better future. And I want to say to you, maybe for you here in this room or in Dundalk or Navid, you want to say, hey, I've walked in here today or I walk in every week and I'm really wanting to dare to dream for a better future. You can activate hope today. Because I still dare to hope, Jeremiah said. I still dare to hope the steadfast love of the Lord never, ever ceases. So we've got to dare to dream. But secondly, and this is a little bit of a curveball, we've got to dare to receive as well. You see, this man could dream all he liked about change, but he couldn't get to where Jesus was. He needed help to get there. And I want to say to you guys, whether you're a person of faith or not, one of the most difficult things in our life is to ask for help, it's to ask for help. In, in fact, many of us, 
say, oh, it's a weakness to ask for help. Many men specifically, but not just men, we say it's a weakness, a sign of weakness to ask for help. But you can dream about change all you like. If you don't dare to receive, you'll stay there just with your dreams. I love what this guy, Irving McManus, who's a pastor and a, and a preacher, author out in uh, Los Angeles, he said this, your greatest strength is not when you can prove that you don't need anyone. Your greatest strength is when you no longer have to prove you can do it alone. Um, yeah, 28 years ago, uh, next week, we had our second son called Simeon. Our first son is Joshua, and we had a second son called Simeon. And by the age of two, we realized that not all was right with Simeon. My wife's a nurse, and she, she realized something was wrong. We went for lots of different tests on Simeon. Eventually, at about two and a half, almost three, um, as young parents, as leader of a church, we sat in an office in front of a consultant, and the consultant told us that Simeon has very, very complex learning disabilities, special needs, ADHD, autism. Later, he's developed epilepsy and all of the things. And they said to us as young parents, your son will never, ever live an independent life. And that was devastating for us as parents, trying to lead a church, trying to get to grips with, with this uh, situation. And, and over the next few years, we had to ask for help many, many times. In fact, our church were incredible. We don't know how we would have survived as a family, let alone leading a church, if it wasn't for the love of our church. And Simeon was an incredible, and he's an incredible guy, and we love him to bits. And when he was young, he was a lot of fun. And uh, he, would do, he would do these crazy things, like, like uh, if you've ever been to a beach and, and there's people uh, creating these sand uh, creations, have you ever seen that? Not just a sandcastle, but it's like, it's got moats and turrets and, and all stuff. And, and we went on this beach once, and there was a whole row of these creations that people have spent days and days creating. And as we got on the beach, I saw Simeon's eyes glint like that. And I thought, oh, no, oh, no. And before I could grab him, he ran through every single one of them. And I'm running behind him saying, I'm sorry, he's got learning disabilities. I'm sorry, he's got learning disabilities. And he runs, runs, runs. And then we had a situation where we were in Clark's shoe shop. And um, we were, he was sat on one of those seats. And there was a large lady sat like with her back to him. And, and, and as she bent down to change her, uh, her shoes, there was a, can I say crack? And not the crack, the Irish crack, but the other crack. A crack appeared in her butt cheeks there. And because Simeon is sensory seeking, he literally did. He got his finger and he went, like, I know, I know. At that point, I vacated the shoe shop and let my wife deal with it. You're better to deal with that, darling. You're way better. So Simeon was a lot of fun, okay, when he was young. <laughs> but, yeah, some of you are laughing to try and imagine that scene. But in 2009, my father died. And then six months after that, Simeon's hormones kicked in. And we had six months, which I can only describe as hell, as his emotions, as his grief, as processing, whatever. And he became incredibly violent. We had to lock uh, his elder brother, our eldest son, in his room at night for safety. He, he, he was, it was just awful. And it got to a stage where we knew we needed help. And so we made that call to social services and we said, we can't do this on our own. We need help. And I can remember driving to this place where, where apparently we were going to put my son into care. And I was saying to God, God, no way. There's no way I am going to put my son into care. And God said to me, Leon, I'm with you. I'm with you. And as we went to this place, the guy opened the door and he said, Leon, I used to come to your church. He was a man of faith. And it was almost like God had gone ahead of us. And Simeon is in care now. He's doing really well. 
And uh, we have a great relationship with him. My point is this. Every single one of us need help at some point in our life. And if you're carrying something, and if you are in a situation where you know that hope is being drained out of you by the moment, please, I dare you to receive help. Maybe even today you could say, hey, I need help. They're the three most powerful words some of us can ever say. They're not a sign of weakness. They're a sign of strength. I wish marriages would have come and got help before it got too late. I wish people with addictions and and issues like that would have come and got help before it got too late. I need help are three of the most powerful words you can ever say. So I want to encourage you and invite you. I want to dare you today and challenge you today in Navan, in Dundalk. Do you need some help today? You say, I'm not a person of faith. That's okay. You say, I am a person of faith. That's okay. I was a pastor. I am a pastor. I need help too. We're all human, aren't we? And we all need help. And what I love about this story is that you get these these kind of four guys here who help carry their friend to Jesus. You know, that's what great friends do, right? That's what great friends do. Great friends carry you when you can't carry yourself. And great friends take you to the feet of Jesus. And let me say, we all need great friends like that. But listen, let me challenge you guys who are Jesus followers. We can be friends like that too. You got a friend in your life who doesn't know Jesus? The best thing you can do for them is to help carry them to the feet of Jesus. By the way in which you live your life, by the way you invest, and by the way you invite. You could be one of those guys that carry your friend to the feet of Jesus. Dare to receive. But then the third thing to activate hope is this dare to risk. And so I love that these guys get their friend to to the house and it's full and they can't get through the crowd and they try every which way. And and one of them, maybe the one with with, uh, the leadership gift, he says, um, okay, what are we going to do? No idea is a bad idea. Then the young one, maybe the one with tattoos says, I know, let's go up on the roof and let's bust the roof open and let him down. And the leader says, you know, I said no idea was a bad idea. That's a bad idea. (laughs) But anyway, they did it. And can you imagine Jesus is teaching away and all of a sudden there's a few little kind of flakes of roof come dropping down. And he looks up and he sees a finger pointing through the hole. And then he sees like a fist and then he sees a face and then he sees four faces as the hole gets bigger. And then he sees a man on a mat being lowered. I mean, it's a great scene, isn't it? It should be great on a screen like this, like a movie scene. And it's coming and risk there. And in that moment of risk, Those friends risked so much for the sake of the man that they cared for. What are we willing to risk for, guys? What are we willing to risk for the people in our lives that to get them to the feet of Jesus? I want to dare you, dare you, dare you today to risk. And I love this. And it says it says um, they dug a hole in the roof in the New King James Version. It says when they broke through, when they broke through. One of the reasons that I love your church and this church so much is that you're a church that isn't afraid to try and break through, right? You have a risk. I mean, how many churches meet in, a, in an iSense screen in a cinema? How many churches launch a new church in Dundalk that launched Navan many years ago? You do that because you're daring to risk and you do that because you know there are people who need to meet Jesus. And I love what a guy called Bob Goff says. He said this, fail trying, don't fail watching. Don't fail watching. Just have a go. You know, if you've got little kids, I don't know what it's like in Ireland, but it, for us in England, if, I, if we're going on a long journey, we say to the little kids, now, have you been to the toilet? Have you do that? And I say, I don't want to go. And we always say this, have a try. Have a try. 
We use that language now in our staff team. We say, do you know what? We're just going to have a try. We're just going to dare to risk. We're going to dare to do something a little bit crazy, a little bit out there. Why? Because we want to help people find and follow Jesus. Because we believe that people who are locked in a restricted, stigmatized, hopeless situation can know change and transformation in Jesus' name. So dare to risk. And can I just pause before my last point? Maybe there's someone here in Dublin in a few weeks. And you, you, would say, you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus. You're not sure about all this faith step. Can I ask you to lean in a bit? I want to dare you to risk as well. And the risk I want you to do is this. Take a next step. You don't have to believe everything. You can just take a next step. In fact, you could do that today. One of your pastors there, or if you're in Dublin, come talk to me or talk to one of the next step team. Just take the next step. What have you got to lose? But you've got everything potentially to gain. Dare to risk. And then finally, dare to fight. Dare to fight. Now, I, I want to say a little bit about this. As the scene unfolds and, and the man comes, Jesus speaks over him and the man is healed and he gets up off the mat. There are another bunch of people there as well. So there's the crowd. There's the four friends that brought this man. But then there was another bunch of people. And the Bible calls them teachers of the law. In other words, the religious leaders. And it's really interesting because Jesus knew that they were thinking. And he connected them. He said, why are you thinking such things? And he connected their thoughts to their heart. He says, you're thinking things, but that's connected to your heart. You see, there were two groups of people fighting that day. One group with that group of friends fighting to get their friend to Jesus. The other group with a group of religious leaders fighting to stay in control of their paradigm and their power. I know which one I'd rather be. I'd rather be someone that's fighting to get help broken, lost people find Jesus than trying to fight onto my view and my idea, wouldn't you? And so when I, when I want to encourage you to fight, I want you to fight in a certain kind of way. You see, religious people, they watch, but they don't engage. They observe, but they don't invest. They look only with the purpose of finding fault. They fight the wrong battles. You know, you and I need to fight the right kind of battles. Have you ever stood your ground and you kind of wished you hadn't or you hadn't stood your ground and you wished you had? Have you ever been like that? I remember years ago I was um, in South Africa and we, we were doing a mission thing in a, in a, in a HIV AIDS community. We, we do a lot in Africa around that and we were in a community and we wanted to, it's the first time we've been in the community and we wanted to help and I wanted to help feed the kids. Okay, So I went to some of the ladies that were the cooks and I said, can I help feed the kids? And this lady looked at me and she said, you know, you guys, you all come in here and you, you, you go on to help and you take your pictures with the kids. But, you know, you, you don't really get stuck in. And she said this, you don't eat the food we eat, do you? She said, if you eat this food, then you can feed it. And I said, that's fine. I love food. What is it? Oh, my goodness. She said to me, it's our favorite. It's cow's intestine soup. At that point, I thought, Lord Jesus, you need to take me away right now. And none of the people in the team would eat it. All of our young people got their cameras out to take pictures of me. And in that moment, I thought, Jesus, this is a moment I've got to stand my ground because we're trying to build a bridge here. And so I ate that and it's the worst thing I've ever eaten in my life. But from that moment, there was a bridge built and we were able to build relationship and help people. 
And the reason I'm saying that is that sometimes you've got to know what's the right thing to fight for and the wrong thing to fight over. And I love, I love a film called, uh, X-Files made a film a few years ago, and it said, fight the future. That's the wrong thing. You shouldn't fight the future. What we need to do, don't fight the future. Fight for the future. So I want to say to you, a lighthouse, as a little bit of an aside for those of you who are in the church and you, you carry the vision of this. Let's be a church that doesn't fight the future, but let's fight for the future, right? Let's fight for the future of Dublin. Let's fight for the future of Navan. Let's fight for the future of Dundalk. Let's fight for the future of Ireland. Let's fight for the future. We don't want to get hung up on fighting about the future or fighting over a view or over a theory or over a paradigm or over, or over a tradition. We want to fight for lost and broken people. We want to fight for our communities. We want to fight for our nation. And I love, love, love that. So I'll, I'll invite the band back up if, if you guys could come. Uh, and then just a few more things I want to say. Let's go back to the text for a moment. It says, it's, and the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. In another translation, it says, in full view of them all. So the crowd that kept the man from Jesus, now he walks through the crowd. And I'll come back to that in a minute. They were all amazed and praise God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Listen, there may be something that in your life feels so restrictive and you can't possibly break through. It's like a crowd that you can't get through, a situation that you can't get through. But God can make a way where there seems to be no way. And this man walks through the very barrier that was preventing him from walking to Jesus. Why? Because these four men risked enough for their friend. And I want to say to you today, God can do something in your life that can cause you to walk through what you feel is that barrier that keeps you away from that future. God can do that because God is an amazing God. It takes courage to hope. It takes courage to dream. It takes courage to receive and to say, I need help. It takes courage to fight. It really, really does. Today, guys, I want to dare you to hope. I want to call something out of you, not challenge you in, in an aggressive, confrontational way. I want to invite you. I want to draw you. I want, I want to say, hey, hey, I want to call something out of you. I want to dare you to hope today. Let me read out Lamentations 3 again. This incredible passage. But let me just read it from the message translation. He says this, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed really go for it in terms of vulnerability. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. I just feel God wants to say to somebody, hadn't prepared to say this, you feel in your life that you've hit rock bottom. God wants you to know when you hit the bottom, there's rock. There's rock. You feel I've hit the bottom. You know you haven't because at the bottom, there's rock and his name is Jesus. And then he goes on to say, but there's one thing I remember. And remembering, I keep a grip on hope. In other words, I activate this hope that is within me. And then he says this, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over and over. He's all I've got left. Many times in my life, that family situation, 
And our other son, his wife, um, she's got cancer. And so we've been running through that battle as well over the last 12 months. And there's been many times where I felt and we felt as a family that we've hit rock bottom. But then we remind ourselves that at the bottom there's rock and his name is Jesus. And his loyal love could not have run out because every single morning he creates afresh his love and his mercy. That's why we can hope in him. And today I dare you to hope. I dare you to hope. Right wherever we are, here in Dublin, in Dundalk and in Navan, I wonder if you just close your eyes just for a moment. And I want to pray in a moment for you. But I also want to give you an opportunity to respond today as well. And, and maybe this doesn't normally happen, I don't know, but I, I believe that there are many of us here in these venues today, here in Dublin, in Dundalk, in Navan, and you've walked in today, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, and you know that you need to activate, that you need God to activate hope in your life again. Maybe you've hit rock bottom. Maybe you feel your situation is so restricted, so stigmatized that nothing can ever change. And you need God to help you to activate that dream again, that risk again. And you know that that hope is within you, but you can't seem to activate it. And I want to pray for you that God would activate that hope as you make a step. What comes next?